Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. I don't know what season it is. I think it's snowing outside right now or something, but welcome to Life Church. Thanks for being here with us. Honestly, though, if it's your first time here with us, whether you're in person or online, thanks for joining. Uh, before we begin today, I've got like three announcements. They're pretty important, so bear with me here. So first and foremost, we have Running for Christ coming up. Uh, I, I, I don't know anything about horses, barrel racing, nothing. She said pole bending, but that's like a pretty rigid pole that's out there. So, uh, but they wanted, to, they wanted to bring some materials to really help explain what they're doing. And then the greater mission of what Jim and Ellen are doing uh, with Running for Christ is that they're bringing Jesus to people that normally don't have that ability. So I'm thankful for them for using what God has given them uh, and that we were able to be alongside them in this journey. So again, they need volunteers. They need help to make this event happen. And so if you feel like you could help out in any capacity, they'll be out there in the cafe, whether that be financially or hands-on. You can ask Jim and Ellen directly, or you can, again, like she said, go to the Life Church Huntington app. You can't miss it. I think there's the barrel and the pole still out there right now. Uh, other thing we're looking for volunteers for is VBS, which is coming up this July. Uh, if you've ever done VBS or if you have kids, you know we also need help for that. Um, so as many volunteers or help in whatever capacity as that is, you can head down to the Life Kids area, which is right at the main entrance of the building, and you can get um, more information that way. Or you can also, again, just go to the Life Church Huntington app. The, the tab for VBS is right there as well, and you can sign up um, on that. And then the last thing I want to announce is maybe you've seen some people in some blue shirts, and right now what we're doing is partnering uh, to raise funds for the Rich family. Uh, if you don't know, Breedland Rich uh, was afflicted with uh, or diagnosis after diagnosis of we don't know what, and now she's resting in this diagnosis, diagnosis of Lyme disease with other co-infections, and the family has been through um, an awful lot, and they're actually down getting treatments right now, and so if you didn't have an opportunity to buy a shirt uh, to help support them, uh, there is going to be some for sale out in the cafe, but also if you did put your orders in, they are there for you to pick up as well. Okay, I think that's all the announcements. So this week, we're going to talk about something that I have never myself heard preached until it just vomited out of my mouth first service, um, but uh, well, we've always talked about it in church, and that's the ascension, the ascension of Christ. And so we talk about Easter Sunday, now what we just went through in Easter Sunday, we talk about death and resurrection. But what about from heaven, or from earth to heaven? What about Jesus going up? We don't really, really talk about that a lot. And today, I hope you brought your running shoes, because we're going to go Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, I don't know how many times. Uh, I'm not going to throw all the scripture on the screen. If you know me, you know I'd love to. But I'm just going to summarize some things uh, so that we have a better understanding of what we're talking about today. But we're not really going to just talk about going from earth to heaven when Jesus ascended after the resurrection. We're going to talk about what that changed more so, okay? So again, Easter Sunday, we talk about, you know, every year the church does, does a great job about talking about the death and the resurrection and how salvation's offered to us through Jesus. But if you read scripture over and over and over again, you find how often Jesus said, I will be going to, and I will be leaving, and I will be going up, and I will all these things. And in the, in the Old Testament, you read all these promises. So today, I want us to kind of reflect on what the ascension is and what does it change. And, and so there was a part of Easter that we, we do talk about, is that not only did he die and resurrect, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so I'm going to paint a picture for us really quick before we get into uh, Scripture today. But just to kind of pick back up from the Easter message, the death and the resurrection of Christ. 
is that when he resurrected, he was on earth for 40 days. He revealed himself to the disciples and to other people to do teachings and to continue on his ministry on earth for 40 days. And then it says, if you go back and you can put a note, Acts chapter one, verses six through 11, if you wanna be specific, that's, it talks about the ascension. And what happens in the ascension is Jesus is taken up in a cloud from earth into heaven. Now that cloud is pretty symbolic. If you go back to Old Testament, what you read about a cloud is that if you think about the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, it was the thing that, the powerful thing that led Israel to the promised land. Or if you think about wherever you heard about a cloud in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it had to do with God's glory or God's power. And you couldn't approach that cloud. You couldn't be inside of that cloud. And here in Acts chapter one, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and he is taken up in a cloud. Jesus is inside of the glory and the power. And not only did he go up that way, he will return in power and in glory one day uh, that we're waiting on for him to take uh, his kingdom here on earth to make new heaven and new earth. So, powerful, okay? Ascension, that's what it did. Now, outside of that, what we wanna do now is I wanna talk about some of those things that Jesus being taken up in power and taken up in glory, what, it, what did it do for us today? And so the first thing I kinda want us to look at is we're gonna go to 1 Peter chapter one. As you're going to 1 Peter chapter one, I want you to think about one phrase, lamb. It's a word, not a phrase. But think about the lamb, okay? 1 Peter chapter one, verses 17 through 20 says this. It'll also be on your screens. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways that you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So a couple things we need to understand about the lamb. We're gonna go back to Old Testament really quick. So Israel was in captivity in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And you, if you remember the story, God wants to redeem his chosen people out of slavery. And so he sends Moses, you know, the 10 plagues, he sends Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And it didn't happen. But 10 times, Plagues were poured out on God's behalf upon the nation of Egypt to, or in order to try to redeem Israel. But on the 10th plague specifically, this is what happened. God said he was gonna send an angel of death, a spirit of death, the destroyer to kill every firstborn in the land of Egypt. And he sends Moses to the people and he says, this is what I want my people to know. That in order to prevent yourselves from that death, there's something that you need to do. And so Israel had a choice to make. They didn't have to do what God called them to do, but in order to prevent death and to be set apart to be God's chosen people, they did what was commanded. And what was commanded was they were to take each household, one lamb, a year old, without blemish, without any defect, and they were to sacrifice that lamb. Then they would take the blood of that lamb and they would put it on the doorpost of the home. And not only that, then God gave more specific instructions of now you roast the lamb, you partake in the supper together where you keep your sandals on your feet, your cloak tucked in your waistband, and you have your staff in your hand. There's very specific instructions in there. But he wanted the people to know that if death were to pass over you and I were to redeem you, you better be ready to go. Same thing for us today, right? 
So when, so when the spirit would come and it would pass over the land of Egypt, it would pass over the doorposts of those who followed what God told them to do, the Israelites. And that's what we have is we have a lamb. A lamb was given. His blood was shed for releasing Israel from slavery. Jesus' blood that he poured out, much like that of the lamb, released us from our slavery of sin. So there's a connection between the lamb and the Old Testament and then being compared, Jesus being compared to the lamb, but there is far more, and we're gonna scratch the surface on everything today, but, and I mean just scratch the surface, but being referenced to the lamb here in 1 Peter has a lot of more meaning, a lot more meaning for us to come to. And so I'm not gonna bore you with the entire book of Revelation or scare you with the entire book of Revelation. I'd love to camp out. Maybe if you're interested, we can read it all night tonight. I'm just gonna reference some of it because it took us, I, th I think it took what, like a year? I think it took us like a year. And, we didn't, and my, mind you, when Mike went through that, he didn't even get to go into detail. So in the book of Revelation, there's an importance to understanding the sacrificial lamb at the Passover, to understanding Jesus as our sacrificial lamb, to understanding the lamb that scripture, especially in Revelation, refers to uh, this as. So John, the apostle John, has a vision. And this, he's the one who authored this book that's given credit to writing the book of Revelation. And he says that he's taken into heaven, and they, there he sees the throne, and he sees a scroll. And on the scroll, there's seven seals. And he looks around, and he hears a mighty angel cry out. He says, who alone is worthy to open the scrolls? But there's no one at that time. And it says, John weeps. John's crying because that scroll, for it to be opened, it symbolizes God's punishment being delivered down to earth. Think about what we live in today. An evil and a broken world. That judgment had to be poured out for that to end. If that judgment could not be poured out, if that scroll could not be opened, the seal's broken, evil, Everything wicked would continue to rule this earth. All the hard things that we go through today, when we pray Jesus come, it's so all of that can end. But Jesus was the lamb, the only one, the only one found worthy enough to open the scrolls to administer the judgment. Imagine being, like put yourself in that moment. Imagine having that vision and seeing we're doomed, like there's nothing for us. Everybody's gonna suffer for all of eternity. But then it says that he saw the lamb, it looked as if he had been slain. And he says, worthy is the lamb, the lamb who was slain. The lamb goes to the right hand of God. The right hand and he takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne and he begins to open the seven seals. Him alone the lamb who was slain for us. So the, it says heaven rejoices. Salvation is found in he who sits on the throne and to the lamb. See, we read about it so often in scripture. We talk about the Passover. People celebrate it. People, people reference it. But if Jesus did not, without sin, offer himself as a sacrifice, we would have nothing. So worthy is the lamb who was slain. Think about the love that he had for us. Like we talk about on Easter, the love Jesus had for us, never to diminish this. You deserve the death that he bore when he was in the garden. He said, Father, this is not my will, but yours. Let it be done. 
Jesus experienced some of the things we experience. But he still went anyway and took a death that we deserved. He sacrificed himself. His blood was poured out for us. Think about the love of the Father, though. What about the Father who gave his only son? Who has children in here? We talk about Abraham and Isaac all the time, right? You wouldn't do that. You definitely wouldn't do what the Father did for us. He gave his only begotten son to go in your place. And you tell me that we deserve that? Not me. I don't even deserve the right to be here today. You know me <laughs> from before. Before I knew Christ, I actually just first service ran into a longtime friend, and he was like, if you'd have told me you'd be dedicating my son's kids, he'd, back then, he was like, you told me I was crazy. I didn't deserve any of this. None of us did. We all deserved hell. The love that the father had acting as a high priest at the time to offer the lamb for our sins, past, present, and future. Think about that. Worthy is that lamb. Jesus never once sinned. He, him, he himself who knew no sin became our sin. And when he took our sin, he still never sinned. He just bore it for you. And he bore it for me on that cross. The lamb holds very, very significant, uh, has a very, very significant role in our life today and for the judgment to come. So we need to understand that Jesus was the lamb. Now, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter one. I'll give you a little bit of time if you don't know where it is. It'll also just be on the screen for you uh, as well if you're watching online. We're gonna go to Ephesians chapter one and we're gonna go to verse 20 through 23. Ready? It says in verse 20 in Ephesians chapter one, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. See, now we gotta go back again to the Old Testament and understand what this means. All power, all authority, all dominion, everything given to Jesus. And we're given to him as the church. So remember what Israel was waiting on. They were, the Jews were waiting on a Messiah. They were waiting on a promised one. A Messiah means the anointed one. This anointed one would be someone who is set apart or consecrated for God. The anointed one that they were waiting on would be a priest, would be a king, would be a prophet, would be born of a virgin birth, would be born in Bethlehem, would, I mean, be a son of David, would endure suffering before he could enter glory. You name the list of things the Messiah had to be. Jesus met every single one of those things. Jesus did. But I think this is the problem that we have today too is that when, they, when the Israelites saw Jesus, they didn't see the Messiah. They didn't see what all the promises that were offered to them were. Go back again to, to the, the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter eight for reference. The other thing the Israelites wanted or were waiting on, not only was it a Messiah, someone to be set apart for the redemption of the Israelites, but they were waiting or demanding, they weren't waiting for it, but they demanded a king. So the Messiah would have been anointed as a prophet, a priest, a king, all those other things, right? But Israel, so if you read 1 Samuel chapter eight, it says that Samuel uses his sons and puts them as leaders in Israel. 
The problem is his sons are wicked, they are corrupt, they take bribes, they are not worthy to be leading this nation of Israel. So the elders of Israel, they gather up and they tell Samuel, we don't want that. They're not following in your ways. What we want is what the world has. Every other nation has a king. Give us a king. And this troubled Samuel. Think about that. Why would God's chosen people who want to be set apart from the world want something the world has? Why would they want a king? Because you know what? When Samuel goes to God, you know what God says? He says, Samuel, don't be troubled. This is not about you. It's because they've rejected me as their king. Let that sink in. See, there's a judgment to come one day. You're gonna stand before the throne. When I was prepping this message, this was probably one of the more convicting things that I had to wrestle with. How many times have you rejected the king? How many times do you understand that he's gonna sit on the throne? You understand he's gonna be all these things and he says he's all these things, but your life doesn't translate. Like we go through life and we think that we have to do things our way and we can make the decisions that we want. Sure you can, but why are you over here saying, we want the promised one, we serve the king, but you don't really serve the king. And maybe you've never denied him just by your words, but again, we've said this before, what about our actions? Does the way that we live reflect that we are under the authority of the king of kings? That should be convicting for us all. There is a level that the Israelites had to deal with of, of we want to be all, all this, this great nation, this, this nation of Israel. We want to be God's chosen people. But when God brought, brought the Messiah into the world, do you know what he was? He was born in a manger. What king's born in a, in the, in a barn? He walked with sinners. Are you kidding me? The one who's going to set us apart is going to walk with sinful people? Think about what else Jesus did. He served people. What king serves Jesus is referenced as the suffering servant. And no longer does he suffer because he is now the king of kings. His ascension changes that. He came here on earth to show us the way to him. But the servant became the king of kings and will become the king of kings. But what gives us peace, I think, is knowing that in his return, everything is under his feet. There is no Think about the world we're in today. It's kind of chaotic. Some people are like, it's happening. Some people are like, we're doomed. You better get ready. We want to prepare for, for this war to come and this economic collapse to come. What about spiritually? But then think about this. When we're so worried about this world and all these powers coming against us, why do we not rest in the confidence in knowing that when Jesus comes, not the strongest country, not the best ruler, not the biggest pastor, no one could even oppose him. No one could ever stand against Jesus when the kingdom comes. Is there not confidence in that? He who sits on the throne will, will make new heavens, new earth. He will be seated upon this world for us, for all of eternity to dwell with him. He has all authority, all power, all dominion over all creation forever. There should be some level of peace for us today, but there's also something we have to break apart. There is a difference between power and there is a difference between authority, something we associate with the king. So, power. I want you to think about power. Who is the prince or the ruler of this world today? Satan. But who do we know has all authority and all power for all time? Jesus. 
But think about the power Satan has today. It's a laundry list. He can discredit your witness. He's the father of lies. He can enact evil. He can inflict pain, cancer, diseases. Every wicked thing you want to list, Satan can do. What? He's powerful. But you know what? As a believer, you're given the power of God. God gives you power. It's not some supernatural, I touch it with my fingers and things get to change into different things. It's not that power. There's two big things it says in scripture and there's other references in scripture to this power. Number one, no matter what happens, the devil cannot take your salvation away from you. He cannot make you sin or force you to sin and he cannot possess you as a believer to change your mind. God gave you the power, it says it in James, and it says it in Ephesians, to stand against the devil, put on the armor of God, and to resist the devil. As a believer, you have security in that king because of him. But think about the reality of the power that surrounds us. He can still enact pain on you. He can still, you know, he can still cause things around you to happen. And those who are not in Christ are of the world and he has all the power over them. We should be hungry to go give people Jesus so that they can learn to stand against that. That's the reality of the world that we're in today. There's a lot of power found in the adversary. But you know the other thing? That power that he has was is and forever will be limited by God. That power didn't come from himself. It was given to him. It was allowed for him. But God has all authority and all power over that. So it will come to an end one day. All things will be under his feet. You know what's hard for us? What about when you don't feel that power, though? You been there? See, I'll share a little bit of transparency with you, and I hope you guys could learn to do the same with the people around you. Not that I'm trying to do anything better than you or anything like that, but this is real. So before I was a Christian, I didn't really have a foundation of faith. I was never brought up in the church. I joined the military, specifically the Navy. You're gonna hear me talk about the military a lot today. That's just all I know. So I grew up in the Navy for like 10 years of my life, a decade of my life. I cussed, I said the F word, every other word. I drank religiously. It was about all of that. That was my life. My mom and my grandma were sitting in the front row for first service. And I'll never forget coming home. A great grandma sees some of these on me. And I'm like, oh, she wasn't too happy. But the way I spoke, the things that I did, just kind of made them cringe. That was me. People that know me growing up, I was a rebel. I was not a good kid here in Huntington. I ran away from Huntington. I ran away from me. And then when I found Jesus, the temptation that surrounded me then didn't necessarily leave. I was made new, but that meant that I had to figure out how to be with Christ and not with the world, knowing that he would live in me. So maybe you can relate to this. So I'm drinking heavily every weekend. I'm always getting drunk. I'm cussing, I'm swearing, I'm doing whatever I wanted, whatever pleased me, whatever was fun. And then I went to church, start to understand more about Jesus and I'll never forget that temptation still sat in my home. It was still there. I could still drink it. Think about this. You ever have that long day? Man, work's been a lot. Life's busy. It doesn't stop. 
When I come home, it's like it's madness. I just, I just need a little bit of peace. My relationships, they're falling apart around me. People don't trust me anymore. This is a difficult decision I have to face. Why do people think these things about me? Whatever that is in your life, you come home and be like, I need a drink. You know why? At least I could just feel nothing for a little bit. I just wanted to just stop the chaos around me. I just wanted that drink. But when I came into my faith, what I re realized is that I had to repent. But that temptation was still powerful. And I learned to stand against that power with God. But what we want is the fix. We want the immediate release. We want the immediate gratification. We want the immediate deliverance. We want the immediate sensation to take away the things around us, the temptations around us. But then we have this like dichotomy of like, it looks so good, but I know I can't have that. And you cry out to God and you're like, God, give me more power to overcome this temptation. Give me more power to overcome this sin. That's where I recognized I was wrong. I don't need more power. What I need to have is a better understanding of the one who gave me the power to resist those things in the first place. That was the realization for me is that I kept crying out like, God, I need more God and more God, and yes, less of me and more of you, but what he's given you is already there if you come to understand who he is. So going to him and understanding him is the one thing that's brought me peace. I don't need the drinks anymore. I don't cuss. If I do, I don't even know the last time I have. It wasn't easy. But I had to deny my flesh and I had to understand the power God gave me to not do all the things that I once knew coming to Christ. But then think about this, though, too. There's, there's, a, there's a difference in power and authority. I'm gonna use a military example. When you have a position in the military, you might have the power to pull a trigger. You might have the power to jump out of a helicopter. You might have the power to fly the helicopter. You might have the power to do different things within a mission that other people can't do because they haven't been given the power to do those things. But when we talk about authority... The person with authority already has the power at their disposal. They just don't need permission to do it. The person with power needs a permission from the person with authority. Power is defeated by authority. Where does our authority come from? Christ. Our authority comes from Christ. Now, if you read scripture, there's two verses that will say Satan has authority. And people go, what does this mean? Understanding that his authority that he was given was to use the power that God had already given him, which still is limited by God, was, is, and forever will be. You and I alone have no authority. None. Not even over the devil. But, but I want us to hear this. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, you know what it says? All, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Who was me? Jesus. It was given to him, so what about us? He says, therefore, he took it and he said, go make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave it to you. And what happens is we get stuck in the church inside the four walls and we let this be the place where Jesus is. The one who ascended in a cloud to heaven from earth. We keep him here. But he gave us authority to go spread it 
throughout the world. And that's the thing. His authority, you know what it did? It demanded that we use the power that he gave us. Therefore, go. There's no, eh, if you feel like it, if you know enough. No, he said go. Remember the Passover? They're eating with the cloak uh, tucked into their belt, the, the staff in their hand, the sandals on their feet. He's, get ready. You have something to do. Same thing here. Now you go and make disciples. He gave you the authority to do that. But Jesus' authority, demanding us to use power, means that we're going to have to get rid of some things in our life too. So what are you willing to give up for that? He didn't say you can have my authority in these things. You can do those things, but just remember my authority at the end of the day. He said, get out. He said, go. Stop staying still. Stop hiding. Stop isolating. Because you know the other thing you gave him headship over? The church. Us. Surround yourself with people when you don't know questions. Get yourself involved in community because if the church can come together and understand that we're the body, over a period of time, you're gonna understand the head. And when you understand the head, you understand the power that the head has over the church. You have to stay connected. You have to stay plugged in to the church. But not only this authority we were given, one of the other great authorities we were given is to be presented before the throne. I'm gonna go to Hebrews chapter four now. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Old Testament, what was a high priest? A high priest was one person set apart by the nation of Israel to be the person between God and the nation. The high priest was the only one who could offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of not only himself, but of the people. You couldn't audition for it. There wasn't interviews for it. You had to inherit it. You had to be holy. And then you had to be physically whole as well. There could be no blemish in the priest, but he was still human. And if you think about the tabernacle, I, I talked about this example, first service. Anybody been to like the, the tabernacle that travels around? They, they erect it and you can see it. I said this too, it's also hosted by the Mormon church, so like, boo. So there's a lot of, but there's a lot of symbolism that you get to know from going to that experience. And one thing that was cool is I took my view of what scripture says and what God says about the tabernacle. And when you really see how this, this mobile tabernacle was put together and, and the, the, the way in which it was set up, there's, there's a realization that no one in here could go before that veil where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the two cherubim sat, the, the mercy seat where God was. None of us could ever go before God and ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Only one person could do that. And if they went in there without being consecrated and holy and set apart, if they didn't follow the, the customs and traditions to purify themselves before the Day of Atonement, you can look that up, before they would go in on the Day of Atonement, one day of the year, to ask for forgiveness of all the sins of the people, they would die. 
they would be struck dead. In fact, if you read about it, they would put bells around their waist and tie a rope to the bells because if they died in there, no one could go retrieve them. Because if you open up the Holy of Holies, you're dead too. And then you're dead if you go to get that person. Like there was, there was a reason. It was, it was because you're going before God. And God doesn't look at sin. And that's who we are. We're sinners. So a high priest was the only person who could have gone before the mercy seat for the people. And here we read about Jesus. He's our high priest. He now is our living high priest. It talks about some of the attributes of him. It says that he is a great high priest, nowhere else mentioned in scripture about any other priest. He's the son of God, nowhere else mentioned that any priest would be the son of God. But he also can understand our weaknesses and our temptations. And he understands the power that they hold as well. He went face to face with Satan in the desert after being starved while he was fasting. And he still didn't sin. He was beaten beyond all human recognition. Still never sinned. Still never told a lie. He can sympathize with the things that you go through as this high priest. He's not some unrelatable being that doesn't know what you're going through and says, I'll forget you, you'll never be me. He says, I'm gonna offer you something. He offers you the mediation between, between us, between you and God. He stands there now for us. So when we understand the severity of the priest standing before there, go back to the tabernacle and think about this. Today in the church, we have that. You and I can access the high priest, Jesus Christ, who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and our temptations. But I'm saying this because I've seen this and it's happening in the church, in the world today. All we have done is recreate another tabernacle and the pastor has become the high priest and they're the only person that can go before God. You don't need a pastor to talk about why your marriage is failing. You don't need a pastor to confess your sins. You don't need a pastor to baptize people. You don't need a pastor to talk about salvation. You don't need a pastor to host a Bible study. You don't need a pastor for anything like that. We as a church are designed to help offer those things, but we're the body of believers. I have no greater authority than you. I can't do anything powerful or supernatural for you right there just because of my position. We need to look around us and the ones that believe and understand the authority and the power we were given and where the real high priest is. A pastor is a shepherd, not a high priest. There is one standing there for you as a believer today, interceding and mediating on your behalf for you, the one who have never would have been able to go before the mercy seat, the one who would never have been able to go to the throne, the one who deserved death. But as we approach that throne, what do we get? I'm gonna invite the worship team up. But if you think about what Jesus gave us in the end times, as the high priest now, when he ascended into heaven, he gave us something. He's promised us the Holy Spirit, a helper. He gave us his spirit, and our spirit is what allows us the confidence to draw near to the throne. Without it, you couldn't do it. But you know what it says? It says, let us come 
confidently, with boldness. That means you don't, you don't have access to the throne and go, mm, I don't think I want to tell you right now. You have access to the throne. You make your requests known. You get to communicate to the Father, which is something that could have never happened without Jesus standing there in the high priest's place. You have access to that. Don't have reservations. Don't worry about what's to come, but it says when you go to the throne, you know what you're not looking for? You don't just go to the throne and be like, I need all these things fixed, I need all these miracles performed, I need signs, I need wonders, I need proof. He says when you approach the throne, you know what you get? Two things, mercy and grace. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you did deserve. You know what grace is? Getting what you didn't deserve. When you get to go before the throne of grace because of what Jesus did for you and I when he ascended, You don't get the death that you deserved. You get a priest, you get a king, you get a ruler, you get a God who gave you access to live forever with him. How are we letting resurrected power stop us today? How are we letting the power that Christ had to ascend to the right hand of the Father, the throne of power, How are we giving the enemy so much power in today's world? Why do we give him the ground that never belonged to him in the first place? Take back what God gave you. He has dominion and authority and power over all things. And he gave it to you. The greatest gift of salvation, the one that the devil can never take away. So why would we not be on fire for reaching other people to have that same reward that we were so graciously given. We didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve anything. The last thing I want us to remember what the ascension accomplished is this. If you can remember one thing, if you can remember one thing, the only way to heaven, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, no one else goes to the Father except through me, remember that there is one mediator And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We don't have to look for some outside entity or anything else. It's Jesus. By Christ and Christ alone, our cornerstone, are we able to be presented before the throne. Imagine what that will be. Not what it could be for the believer, but what it will be. Would you ever want to be back down here on this broken world? Would you ever want your family to be down here on this broken world suffering for all of eternity? When John's weeping because he knows what what the future would have held without the lamb, our desire should be so that others can experience the kingdom that's to come. Will you please stand so I can pray for you? God, we recognize our inability to do anything on our own. We think we've got it under control, but our promise that you fulfilled in the ascension is that one day all things are in your control, and right now they're in your control. I can't wait for the new heavens and the new earth. Lord Jesus, come now. God, let your will be done. The suffering, the pain, the agony, the sorrow, all the evil in this world will end because you sit on the throne, because you will rule. 
because you are our high priest, because you died for us, all we can do is say thank you, and even that isn't enough. Let us recognize that we need you, Lord, and you alone, apart from anything we could ever do for our salvation. We thank you for this opportunity to gather as a body of believers today. Let us always recognize the headship of the church, that you sent your son for the church. And let us understand the power that you've given us. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, for my
Our call as believers is to remember that's not just about us. Imagine the beauty that you'll see and let that impact your decision to go reach other people so they can see it too. To reach your loved ones and to recognize the head of the church has given you the power to resist and stand against. So go and make disciples. Thank you all for being here with us today. So glad you decided to spend your weekend here with us. We look forward to seeing you back next week. God bless.